Hello and welcome to the Exorcism Podcast. If you are looking to get really good at programming, then this is just the podcast for you. Being a phenomenal programmer is about so much more than just knowing a coding language. It's about being able to solve problems, understand the best tools to solve the problems with, and think things through with clarity. Well, hi everyone. My name is Jonathan. I'm hosting a podcast with Bobby Towers. Bobby is one of our community members at Exorcism, um, and I'm super privileged to have him here with me today. I'm currently in Cape Town in South Africa, the very bottom of the world in one sense. Bobby, where are you currently? Oh, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and the pleasure is all mine. Usually, uh, to get to do something like this, you have to be like famous or, or wildly successful or something. So I, I feel like I just uh, skipped so many levels. And uh, well, it's 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 awesome to have you here. I know you contribute a lot to exorcism in the community. Um, you do some maintaining, as far as I'm aware. Um, you can go into that in a little bit of detail later on. Um, but we're really pleased. Uh, to have you here with us and, and as part of just giving, giving you opportunity to share a little bit uh, about your journey in tech and kind of what you love about tech and all of that kind of stuff. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about um, where you come from in terms of your background, a little bit of your, your story. Uh, we want, love to, I'd love to dig into that a little bit and then we can maybe talk a little bit more technically further down the line. Yeah, so I grew up in central New York State um, on uh, a, a farm. Uh, well, we didn't have animals or anything. My my, my dad was kind of a primitivist. Uh, he uh, ran a business making um, one one and two man crosscut saws for the lumberjack industry, like what the, they used to use before chainsaws, and. Uh, but, you know, this leads into tech because he was also uh, an early adopter of, uh, of computers. And he had the original, well, it was a clone of the original IBM PC. And this was, you know, to do um, his uh, home business work, like uh, database management and desktop publishing to, uh, to print out the catalog and... Uh, so uh, I got handed down this thing. Um, well, it was, it, it was released in 1981, which was well, the same year I was released. Okay, um, nice. But, uh, and it, we also had the, uh, the first uh, consumer text-to-speech device. It was called the speech thing. And uh, it was this um, little contraption that would hook up to the parallel port on your computer and it would talk. And uh, just the whole family crowded around this thing. Uh, it, it was the most amazing thing ever. Well, so that was your kind of and, introduction uh, to, you, you could say, the technical, technical world. And um, I'll, I'll let you carry on. I'm just intrigued by the fact that... Yeah, you know what... What, what I really wanted was a Nintendo, mm -hmm. uh, but they, they they wouldn't allow that. Um, they wanted us to, uh, you know, run around, uh, build forts, and uh, uh, play with the cows across the street like like normal farm kids. Presumably, uh, chop down trees, with but the, uh, the double-handed saw or the double-person saw as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so we had a, a, a strict no video game rule, which I never understood. But uh, uh, eventually, uh, you know, uh, all my friends had cool toys to play with, and uh, I was so upset about it. So we compromised on the computer. And, you know, I, I kind of have that uh, to thank in, in a way because it, it kind of turned me into a, a wannabe hacker uh, <laughs> rather than... Uh, you know, someone who um, uh, spends more time consuming media. You know, we had to uh, to create our own fun. That's um... and so this uh, this speech device had a talking blackjack game that was coded in BASIC, okay. uh, which was um, you know uh, the the first programming language that was really easy for people to learn it really um it was basically the, the first Would you say um, it was <laughs> basic yeah. uh yeah the beginners all-purpose symbolic instructional code nice cool cool so so making it easy and for so yeah that was th- this was in the days when um we used to type in computer programs uh out of magazines and, and then it wouldn't work because your your version of BASIC was slightly different from the the one that they used. So versioning and was, was uh, there was no, that that whole program. That there was no internet, so there was no exorcism at the time, um, and uh, so that was you know a major a major thing when when you had a a problem. It wasn't like today where you Googled your problem and it's already been answered somewhere. You were genuinely stuck. And so, yeah, it was, um, it, it was challenging uh, learning, learning to code in that day. And uh, to be honest, um, I, I kind of uh, got distracted by music for... Uh, you know, the next 15 years or so. When you say you got distracted, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, what what happened? Uh, well, um, I, I kind of spent my childhood playing with tape, actually. And uh, this was the, the root of my major obsession with uh, uh, capturing and preserving media. And... Um, composing it after the fact which is really um, a, a form of time travel yeah. interesting i'd never i'd never thought of um capturing music as a, as as a form of time travel which is which is really cool i mean i remember having a i think it was a four track we had one of these like old yeah. tape rack things which you could if you if you pushed the pause and the play at the right time and you hit the record button simultaneously it was like really quite mechanical in terms of getting things things right. But I remember um, being able to be like, oh, wow, I can actually record something and then play it back from another tape rack. So I had now two tapes <laughs> yeah. at the same time. So I recorded onto one and then was able to somehow um, put the recording onto the next one and then bounce it back, back and forth. And it's funny that you mentioned getting distracted by music because I can completely relate to that experience but um it all started with with the tape machine uh, and being able to sort of work out the timing of stuff which was which was a whole problem on its own I, I kind of feel like we cheat a little bit now 
with all of the tools that we have have access to. But, but tell me a little bit more about about the tape machines and, and how that kind of where that led you. Uh, well, you know, I had my Fisher Price cassette recorder, and uh, I, I would kind of—I I remember pretending that I had a radio show, um, and just playing music, and uh, well, just recording myself, you know, just goofing off, uh, talking, and uh, uh, I'm still doing that, really. And then <laughs> um, also VHS video. Um, uh, I even was able to do really crude stop-motion animation uh, oh, wow. because uh, I had a camcorder that had this snapshot feature. Uh, it would just take, a, not a frame, it was actually quarter-second snapshots, which was just enough to kind of simulate motion in a very comical uh, uh, way. Oh, that's awesome. So then, growing up on a farm, you then end up with focus on an old IBM computer machine as a compromise because realistically you wanted a Nintendo and uh, that didn't materialize. So actually I think your parents probably paid you a good, did a good thing <laughs> because they, they made you inquisitive and curious in, in that sense, you could say. Maybe not at the time it didn't. Yeah, well like that. My, my life dream from that point on was uh, actually to um, well, to to make my own to code my own version of Mario. Okay. Um, and you know, like, it, have you ever thought, you know, if you could go back in time uh, and tell yourself something? Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is this is mine, uh, without a doubt. Um, I would go back uh, to that kid that was just wondering how I would uh, uh, recreate Super Mario Brothers. Um, and I, I would tell that kid that you have to learn math. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- I might actually have to choose this for the hill that I might die on. Okay. Um, well, but maybe we um, can, actually, maybe I was, we can I was can- a little bit as well. So, so, what, so what made you re- get to that realization about maths specifically f- for you? Uh, well, you know, I... I I never really used maths ever, um, and even though I was a musician, and I used to hear people all the time, you know, uh, talk about the connection between music and maths, and I would just laugh at them. So, no, it's not, it's not math, silly. It's music, uh, rock and roll. Um, but it was not until I was well over thirty years old trying to. Uh, make the first program uh, when we're skipping ahead uh, a bunch of years. But when, when I started actually learning programming for real, uh, the first thing that I said I wanted to make was some kind of uh, audio uh, music synthesizer, or music sequencer. Mm. And it got to the point where I had to calculate the lengths of the notes according to the tempo, the beats per minute. And that was, you know, other than maybe little things like uh, scaling up and down recipes and whatnot, this was actually the first time that I ever used math uh, was to extend my music sequencer so that it could play at a tempo other than 60 beats per minute, which... (laughs) You know, it would be a quarter note being exactly a quarter second or whatever. Yeah. Wow. 
So it was uh, so you, luckily for you, maybe being able to extend beyond 60 beats a second allowed you to enjoy music more. <laughs> Imagine if everything was stuck at 60 BPM for, for, for music as a whole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it, it went from there and it was a, a perpetually descending rabbit hole. You know, then, you know, I had to find the formula to calculate the frequencies of the notes. Mm -hmm. um, the, the first version, I actually just uh, painstakingly built this ridiculous lookup table where I had the, you know, the the frequency of every note in hertz, uh, and the program would just consult the table. But then, you know, uh, eventually I learned the formula uh, for converting the um, the MIDI numbers, which um, uh, middle C is sixty, and then every integer is just a, a half step on the on the staff. Wow, and um, yeah, um, the the math thing. You know, it was actually um, it was my math teacher who got me into uh, coding again. Mm -hmm. You know, I was I was going to um, to college in Austin, Texas, and i i had to I had to take math courses. And I got to use this really interesting system. It was uh, called ALEX, uh, which stands for the Advanced Learning Environment for Knowledge Spaces. And, well, it was uh, learning math through interactive exercises. And um, it, it was actually the first time that, um, that it ever really worked for me. And I realized that it's because there's so many concepts in math that depend on each other. It's mm -hmm. this huge graph of hundreds, maybe even thousands of topics. Uh, and it, it would be virtually impossible for a teacher to, you know, in a reasonable uh, classroom environment, uh, to keep track of even one student's uh, position on this graph to know exactly the next right thing to... Um, sure. To, to teach them and yeah it's it was kind of it was interesting because you know I realized that uh, something like that should be taught with computers and that was the the huge revelation really was the power of interactive learning and the way um, that we can use technology to uh, assist the process of education it sounds strikingly like what exorcism kind of looks to achieve with its tracks. I, I was I was thinking of that exact thing because it's the concept graph. Mm -hmm. So then, so then you've gone to college. You've well, so you've grown up in in upstate New York, correct? You've then done life on the farm. You've kind of got your feet wet with um, coding at like a very primitive basis in the sense that no Google, no no information really internet to be able to refer to it's kind of like you get stuck you have to figure that thing out you have to really um pull it apart and, and gain understanding then music and kind of just the curiosity around how machines worked and how you um sort of match things up a lot means that you now go in the direction of of music pretty much broadly speaking um and then you're now at college and you start realizing that actually for you maybe to learn 
the best way is to do exercises which kind of triggers you into this motion or this momentum of learning by doing stuff and actually having a practical connection point with with the world you could say is that like a fair reflection of kind of the journey up until this point in college yeah yeah i was um you know i was expressing my my human creativity you know through you know intuition in the audio realm you know where you know some people might um have taken the opposite path have mm-hmm. you know learned um you know from the from the more abstract you know and then maybe went on to uh learn something like music later on so how did you how and, did you personally bridge obviously you found exercises which seemed to be quite a natural bridge you could say because it brings a level of creativity and a level of um outside of the box thinking because you strike me as someone who likes to think outside of the parameters with which you're given so how do you see um i guess i'm I'm trying to understand a little bit more deeply about that connection of like music and the arts and the creativity with the sort of the scientific the rational and 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 that overlap like how do how did that kind of play out then in in your learning specifically and how is that affecting now how you approach like a problem uh well let's see well uh, yeah actually i i i'm not not sure how to approach that actually it's quite a i think it's probably quite a an explorative question maybe not so not not that categorically clear to <laughs> To, to work out maybe i should try and try and rephrase it um do you think that um co- your your experience of learning to code and develop has been better served by going from a creative perspective and then trying to bring structure or from going would you say like would you have preferred to have gone the other way around which was learn the structure and then learn to break out of the creative, you know, out into the more sort of creative way of approaching things. Is that any? Clear? Well, the the way I kind of look at it is that um, I used to write songs, and now I write songs that do stuff. Okay. And, and so it was almost like practice, mm-hmm. and it ties into this this little thing that I like to call Plato theory. Okay. Explain uh, and that. this goes back to this goes back to when I uh, had my first job uh, other, other than uh, working for my dad uh, my first job working somewhere else was uh, at the local pizza shop and uh, so first I washed dishes for uh, too long actually until um, <laughs> is there ever uh, then I, I started not enough time washing dishes. I, I, I got really good at it so then uh, I would get all the dishes done so that I could help the pizza guy and and so that's how I learned to make pizza but the most fun was when uh, they got to show me how to make the dough okay. and oh. Uh, oh my god uh, <laughs> I just I just love it I always I used to get in trouble like uh, always like mixing things together in the house it was just uh, you know was, uh, uh, something about uh, the dough mixing up and so I told my boss uh, 
that it, this is like Plato. It reminds me of Plato. And he, he looks at me and he says, um, well, yeah, what, what do you think this is all about? Fun and games? <laughs> it's teaching kids the business. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's the uh, the Plato Fun Factory. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, is uh, is a trick to uh, to teach kids the the bakery industry. Really, was that is that is that just a a, a fairy tale, or is that genuinely the sort of Plato was the mechanism in which kids plato like uh, plato and aristotle yeah this is plato theory that's um, that's actually like a a theory so so i i mean that's hilarious because you know i've got a little 18 month old kid and she just puts everything in her mouth um and and (laughs) plato gets eaten prior to being cooked and then then that's a whole new whole new experience but um wow that uh, that's that's really cool okay so 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 keep going so you're now in this pizza pizza shop and you've now you've nailed the washing of the dishes. You're an expert in dishwashing, um, and now you're getting into the next into making the dough and spinning it. Did you spin it on your hand and sort of were you able to kind of learn how to yeah. it in that way? Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Um, then I I actually I built a pizza kitchen on a school bus, and. Um, and drove around in the country uh, giving away free pizza that I made. Uh, I made the dough and, and everything on the bus. We had this little antique oven. Uh, so was that... It, it was a 1967... Was that, was that just you or was it friends or like... Who, who was that? I had, um, I, I had three friends with me uh, on the pizza bus. We made the front page of the newspaper... <laughs> Um, Amazing! Uh, I'll, I'll have to send you the the picture because uh, we'll, we'll put uh, it, it in the show notes definitely because that that's <laughs> yeah. I I kind of and feel so, like um, yeah. So that's um, sorry, Bobby. I just interrupted you there. Keep keep going. I had a a thought there that I uh, so yeah. That was um, the the missing years actually. You know after uh, you know so I dropped out of high school and then just kind of. Uh, uh, traveled. I was just kind of wandering, and that that was when I did the pizza kitchen thing. You know, I took the one the one trade that I had learned and decided to. I took my last paycheck and I told my boss I wanted a, a fifty pound bag of flour and six number ten cans of t- tomato sauce, and uh, and off you went. Took the pizzas with me. Yeah, and so 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 Bobby, just around that high school, what? So you say you, you dropped out. What what was the what was the feeling or the what what kind of led you to being like you know what this isn't working for me so much? Ah uh, well, you know, um, I I kind of have recently discovered, uh, and, and I mean just in the last couple of months that um, I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm autistic. Okay. So what does that and that mean um, for you, and how does that affect life? Uh, well, it, it it makes it makes my life make sense. Actually, you know, if I had only known that, and um, you know, I I really had no idea what uh, what autism was, even though we we had uh, we went to school with someone, but he was very. Um, uh, we we don't like to use the words high functioning, low functioning because everybody's functioning. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so we we classify uh, according to uh, 
to the needs. Uh, you, you can be uh, have more additional needs or or, or less additional needs. And uh, the one example, uh, his name was Joey, and he uh, he was very hard to interact with. He um, had a little computer that he would type on, um, but that was the one example. And it it took until just a few years ago when I started actually making friends with uh, some autistic people, and uh, became aware of the the diversity of the. Uh, of that uh, I don't even want to use the word condition it's like a, a way of being and uh, we kind of I kind of recognized some of myself in them okay so that must have been a, a quite a a relief you could say I mean how did that so so you it's almost like you've been carrying something that you don't really know you've been carrying like a big bag that someone's that that's on you and then to to recognize that and and please do tell me if i'm being completely ridiculous in my what i'm saying but it kind of feels like you've been carrying this thing and suddenly it's you're made aware of it and it's almost like okay this has been this thing um how how is that and and what what kind of then has it allowed you or facilitated you to be able to move into or it's like i'm defrag i'm defragmenting my hard drive mm-hmm. Um, just uh, recalling all of my memories of my entire life uh, and thinking, oh, that's that's why I thought that. And it's it's a continuous process of uh, uh, almost like a rebirth, actually. That's really cool. That's fantastic. I'm 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 pleased that that's that's come into the light. You could say, and you kind of can see that for for what it is. So then. Um, Okay, so now you're driving around with pizzas, um, selling pizzas, and you've finished high school, or you've, you've pulled out of high school because of, you know, you, you said, you know, that it wasn't really working for where you were at. You've got, then gone to college, right, in Texas. So, so how come Texas? Because that's quite a long way from... Well, no, actually, what happened is, um, well, I crashed the school bus, and that was... Um, one of the first major kind of tragedies okay. of my life um, and uh, kind of struggled for a while because then I was just just hitchhiking. Um, but I found, uh, I settled in this town, uh, Ashland, Oregon, okay. and I found a Jewish uh, synagogue, a Jewish community that uh, let me, um, I started volunteering, actually, uh, just teaching the kids music. Okay. And this this was incredible. Um, not only that, um, I, uh, there was, uh, we had a choir, and so I, I started receiving my first uh, formal vocal training. Okay. And also... Um, learned how to compose and arrange choral music and i learned the um well it's it's a musical tradition that is rooted in the bible uh, for the uh cantillation uh, uh of the um, of the scriptures where the the hebrew text actually contains uh, you could kind of look at it as like glorified punctuation marks, and um, but 
different uh, musical traditions that are just passed down orally um, by different uh, regions of the world uh, created their own melodies uh, to sing uh, to sing the the verses. So, so I, I and so yeah, so I just to jump in there. I I did a bit of Hebrew at university, so I did a year of Hebrew oh really study. cool. It was one of the most fascinating modules that I've ever done. I, it went completely over my head, I'm not going to lie. Like half of the time didn't really have a clue what was going on. But I do remember them talking a lot about the pointing, uh, I think I'm right in saying, which is how the vowel sounds um, correlate to the consonants. And then the the variation in, in different texts that have different, well, have the same pointing, but you can infer very, very different meanings according to the pointing that you you can interpret or see um and that has quite big um impact you could say across how how you read the scriptures so just to jump in there that that's really interesting and so now you're talking about like the musical aspect of the text love keep keep going yeah and you know the uh music has uh, an extraordinary power to uh, help us learn to to help us uh memorize things and uh but music is uh it's more than just music it it's a, a syntactical construct where it um that's how the that's how you know how the text should be interpreted you know where where the semicolon is uh, that separates the two stitches of the verse and so that has a little musical ornament that has the the strongest pause in the verse, and then uh, there's another one that would you know be analogous to commas and well different uh, different strengths of commas. And so I just uh, this blew me away that there was uh, actually this primitive musical notation system built right into the text, uh, and so I. I wanted to learn uh, as many different melodies uh, as I could. And I actually, I, I taught a class. Uh, this was my first time teaching adults at the synagogue, actually. I taught a class in uh, how to uh, cantillate the, um, the, well, the five books of Moses from the Torah scroll. And then there's a different tune for the prophets. And then uh, where it got really deep was... Uh, in the uh, so there's the um, the Torah, the writings, uh, the prophets, and the writings uh, like the Book of Psalms and uh, Proverbs and Job, which are written in a, a more um, it's a more poetic style. Where actually the cantillation marks are are very different in those books. And I was like, what the heck is this? How do you sing this? And so I was I was actually googling how to um, how to chant uh, the verses of Psalms, and I found the website of uh, Rav uh, Nathaniel Frankenthal, okay. uh, who was in Jerusalem, Israel, teaching uh, at a, a yeshiva, a Jewish study house called Machon Meir. Okay, wow. Uh, so I moved there in Israel, <laughs> and in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, so you went. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Yeah, I moved to Israel and um, was planning on, uh, you know, I was doing rabbinical study. Uh, but it was also, I mean, that's what I was officially doing. But 
What I was actually doing was a study in ethnomusicology uh, for uh, purely recreational purposes. And, and Bobby, do you have? Are you Jewish? Is that your family background? Like, was that so? Why the synagogue, or was it just that you happened to stumble upon a community, or, or is there like a, 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 a sort of a background or a context that is from the Jewish? Yeah. Um, well, we were. Um, uh, Reformed, well, not there's Reformed Jewish, uh, and then there's conservative, uh, or um, actually, that, that's not what it's called. It's a uh, anyway. My my uh, my grandparents came here from Russia and just kind of decided to make their own rules, <laughs> so that it's uh, it's okay to eat lobster yeah. and shrimp, but not not pork. Um, and yeah, it was kind of it was kind of a formality actually, and I did not understand it. I didn't enjoy it. Well, I actually secretly enjoyed the music, and that is, uh, you know, that extraordinary power to infect you. Um, yeah. You know, I I think there's actually something going on uh, on the genetic level mm-hmm. that uh, we are kind of spiritually wired to um uh to use song to uh, try to um uh to to contact whatever might be out there yeah. well it's vibration isn't it it's it's frequency and it's if you think we're made of water as well which is highly responsive to sound waves and um you know, heal, even healing, you know, that when you go to the physiotherapist and they put that little sonar thing on your your leg that breaks up knots using sound. And uh, there's a whole realm of information out there that is, um, we, we've hardly even explored, but it's definitely, definitely key. But it, I just find that the relationship between music and tech fascinating because everyone's like, oh, they, they are very um, polar opposite music artistic creative you know fluid but actually underpinned by patterns um consistent um how would you say it's like on the piano you have your your intervals all of that kind of stuff it it is it is very mathematical if you really really boil it down so i'm just fascinated that you ended up in in the context that you ended up in uh, in jerusalem i mean of all pla- jerusalem correct or or just israel like where where were you in? Israel? Yeah, Jerusalem. Uh, I I studied in Jerusalem and uh, Safed, uh, the birthplace of the uh, the Kabbalah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that was that was really interesting. Wow. Okay, so now I didn't expect I didn't I hadn't factored in that maybe you'd lived in Israel. That's really cool. Really interesting. Um, and so now you spent time there studying um, ethno musicality. What would you what would you define it as eth? Ethnomusicology. Okay. Yeah, I, I I fell in love with the the Yemenite tradition mm-hmm. okay. uh, so much that um, I, I I wanted to just adopt all of their customs. Uh, they they preserved a very unique uh, form of, of Judaism, uh, including the uh, well the the most um, carefully preserved. Uh, dialect of Hebrew that still actually sounds like Arabic, so I got to um, to learn lots of uh, different sounds. Wow, that's awesome! And yeah, so uh, they um, they have 
Well, it's Judeo-Arabic. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's, it's this really interesting web because um, I was also uh, very much into um, s- uh, Sufi music called Kowali. Sufi, which, Sufi uh, being, is, uh, is that the mystical aspect of Islam? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and so it, this is the most incredible music I've I've ever heard. Uh, is Kowali? It is just um, they they use harmoniums, which uh, is a really great instrument. Uh, it's kind of like uh, an accordion. It's a a free reed instrument, mm-hmm. uh, and it's used for for chanting. And um, like a drony, kind of that drony sound to it. That sort of. Yeah, yeah, and um, so it's the the Pakistani tradition, and I I discovered um, a um, well the the music of uh, the ancient music of the Jews of Afghanistan, and it blew me away because it's, they they use harmoniums, and it sounded like Kowali, and um, so. I uh, I created a project called Kabbalah Kowali, wow. uh, where I took uh, <laughs> Yemenite tunes and uh, tried to uh, make it in the style of Kowali music. It, it was totally wild. Wow! And you did all this at home on your laptop with a harmonium, or did you just? How did you record and do all of that stuff? Uh, well, I I made a really bold move actually and moved to Israel without an instrument, which okay. I I I wondered how that was going to work. Um, I'd never been without an instrument before. You know, how would I express myself? And uh, so, I actually, um, that's when I got really really heavy into uh, score writing. Um, okay, just uh, making music on the computer. I was using. Um, you know, uh, uh, LilyPond software, which um, was a, um, it actually uses the uh, LaTeX typesetting language. Um, and so that kind of brought the coding back, actually. It reminded me of, uh, you know, making some of the uh, original web pages. Okay, wow. Uh, and uh, kind, of, kind of like a, a HTML, actually, except you are, instead of marking up, text and pictures and whatnot uh it's uh notes on the musical staff so it sounds like then what keeps seeming to happen is you go into music and you end up doing a full circle back into the technical coding uh, scribing almost uh annotating documenting that's kind of it seems like that's the process that seems to continually continuously happen so so let let's just move into the tech tech side of things because I think there's we can we can go into that a little bit. So so you started learning um, sort of scribing and and putting all of that stuff on paper or, or te- you could say proverbially or how would you say it? Te- digitally <laughs> scribing things digitally. And then did you start learning a specific language? I know because you you enjoy closure. Is it closure? Clo- how would you say it? closure as a as a coding language? Closure. Yeah. yeah. How did you get into that? And and where are you at on the sort of technical journey at this point in time? Okay. So yeah, closure. Uh, 
it was it was it's been number one uh, for the the highest paying technology on the Stack Overflow um, surveys, uh, pretty consistently. Um, and uh, I, I have to admit that that's the first time that it actually caught my attention. Uh, you know, I saw it on the chart and said, "Huh, well, that uh, maybe that seems no like that's what you." <laughs> And that's what you want to learn if you want to make the big bucks. Yeah. Um, but then what I what I kind of discovered um, is that the reason why it's the highest paying language is because it just happens to attract very experienced developers. The the average uh, experience level of uh, a closure programmer is ten years. Okay. Wow. So uh, not because of the difficulty or the application of it was it just that you know these senior developers would get bored doing your sort of run-of-the-mill languages or i I hate to say run-of-the-mill that'll probably get me a huge amount of criticism but you know what i mean sort of more popular (laughs) languages that then they kind of need a new challenge and then that's kind of who ends up going for it or yeah, tell me a little bit about it. I mean, I'm interested to find. It. Well, it, it's actually incredibly easy, an incredibly easy language to learn, um, and it, especially if you are like ADHD minded like me, um, it, it has this this amazing uh, uh, property that uh, is sometimes referred to as REPL driven development um, or um, interactive programming. Uh, where you can, uh, instead of uh, having to think of your program as like a, a text file that just gets executed, um, you get to think of it in, in just little tiny chunks. Um, and so you just uh, you have a text editor that is um, connected to your running program, okay. and you just put the cursor and uh, on. Uh, a piece of code and use a hotkey and it evaluates that form and uh and compiles it and sends it into the program um so is is it almost instant feedback type language which just means that you can see what you're building kind of iterating and growing as you're going and and that's part of the, the enjoyment of it potentially yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's my 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 dark secret is that uh, I I actually use it because it's uh, it's very difficult for me to um, uh, mentally step through a bunch of stuff and having to do you know the context switching um, that closure actually enables me to wrap my head around um, what each section of the code does. And then are you um, able to see how it affects other sections? So it's it's almost like you get the big picture of what you're building while you're focusing in on the little pieces. So it allows almost the two mindsets to work concurrently, which is having the high-level overview of what you're doing while also keeping an eye on the small bits and pieces, the little bricks, you could say, that, that form it. So is that a fair reflection of how it works why why you enjoy it or why it, it works for you from a mental perspective yeah yeah like the the beginning the beginning of this year i was 
recovering from COVID. Um, still, still recovering from COVID. Actually, it kind of uh, it, um, it 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 was a major life event that brought uh, my mental health issues to the surface and just amplified everything. And I, I realized that, well, it's like I had to teach myself to think again uh, because, you know, we, um, it's like I had this house of cards of coping mechanisms and, and it just, and all of a sudden they, they were no longer working. So how are you doing and, now? Are you, uh, how, how how are you feeling in your in yourself coming come through this last two years which mentally has been a huge challenge i would say it's been such a different thing to deal with i mean how you how are you doing oh it's 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 yeah i was actually when i was writing my notes um earlier you know to kind of uh just kind of get my mind and gear for this that was the biggest thing that struck me is this last couple of years and, and how much has happened so what are some of the key you said you you talked about your sort of house of cards like how did and this may be quite quite a personal poignant question is like how did what happened what played out how did all of those cope what did the did the house of cards crashing look like and how is what what did you come out of that season thinking i want to focus on or i want to prioritize or i want to work towards um well i um i i created a a one-handed keyboard um which is right here (laughs) there it is wow um yeah, so this was uh, I created this w- using code actually. Goodness me. With um uh CAD software um and a closure library that uh compiles closure code to uh open open SCAD and uh so I got into 3D printing <laughs> uh because I I have um I have a hand that doesn't work. Okay, wow. And this was um, as a result of uh, an accident that happened in 2015. Okay, so so hang on. You had the the pizza truck accident, which was a significant moment, and then in 2015, another accident that is, is resulted in in a hand that doesn't function properly as you would like. Yeah. So this was. Uh, this was another major life event that really changed everything mm. because, uh, well, it it put me on uh, the way I like to think of it is that it it caused me to shift um, from a, a physically oriented being to more of a, a mentally oriented being. Wow, and that's huge, Bobby. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. massive. Um. So and that's three. That probably took three to four years of just changing, and then COVID hit, right? So you've just come out of significant mental shift, physical shift, and then pandemic hits. So that I can see why that would have been a quite a quite an experience. Yeah. So like we were talking about earlier about you know the connection. You know, 
where you were asking, you know, how did I bridge the gap you know, between the uh, uh, in intuitive uh, arts like music uh, to code? Uh, and so I, I did that, you know, using, you know, music. Uh, and then so at this point, I actually did the reverse where I kind of knew how to code, uh, but then I, I was just filled with all kinds of self-doubt, um, you know, about my ability to code. Um, and the way I dealt with it was actually learning 3D modeling, uh, because then it was, well, bridging the gap from from the abstract world of code back to where your your code is actually creating a physical object and so then you're getting the well the feedback the confirmation that um my my brain is working it uh, you know i can it's understand the job. connection between uh, the execution of your program and uh, uh 3d printers are so much fun and that was like um the best thing I ever bought. So you have a 3D printer, which you design stuff and then print out. I mean, that keyboard. I mean, what have you have you done anything further with the keyboard? Or is it something that you'd like to pursue further and maybe put out there a little bit further? Because, I mean, that's the first thing I... That's the first time I've ever heard of a one-handed keyboard. It had frankly never crossed my mind. But I can suddenly see that yeah, actually well, huge, huge need for something like that, potentially. When when I when I was learning to first learning to code for real, this was this was after my accident because you know that uh, losing a hand uh, contributed to me um, well needing to use my brain or use my mind instead of the body for things uh, and. Uh, but you know, I I had to ask the question, you know, at the beginning, uh, am, am I going to be able to to code because I can't type? So, is this just some crazy idea that you know I'm not really going to be able to do? Um, and well, one of my friends who uh, is a computer scientist, he told me that there were there were options, and so I looked into it and. There's, there's one. Uh, it's called the Maltron keyboard. It was created in the '70s, and it's really cool. But they are wicked expensive, um, like uh, pro prohibitively so, uh, which is r really sad because, um, well, it was out of reach. And uh, so I realized that if I if I wanted a one-handed keyboard, I would have to make one, um, and. So, well, in order to do that, I had to, well, I had to invest a considerable amount of money into the, you know, the 3D printer and all the tools and stuff. Um, so, yeah, the kind of the ironic kicker of the whole thing is that I ended up spending more money uh, creating my cheap version uh, than I would have spent uh, just buying a Maltron. So to to justify it... You know, I figured that, um, you know, maybe I would turn this into a business or something um, because, you know, that that really doesn't sit very well with me. It's that um, that there 
charging so much uh, and that uh, the people who who would be able to benefit from it the most uh, can't that there's no option and so I thought you know maybe there's a, a real hole in the market here maybe an opportunity to to fill it and you know maybe maybe there uh, would be even a market for one-handed typing that we're not even thinking of you know if we brought the price bar down enough that you know say um, you know um, there might be a bunch of one-handed typing uh, ninjas, uh, curious you know I mean? people. <laughs> it was, uh, it was there's a lot of situations you, that you could imagine being in. Um, like if you uh, if you were injured mm-hmm. and um, and needed to remain productive. And, well, I mean, um, I was I was talking to DJ or, a while back, a couple of weeks back, and he, his whole hilt that he would want to defend or die on um is this whole well one of the things he clearly ha- is, a, is a is a huge um fan of is accessibility and and it had never occurred to me because yeah. you know even uh, you know my wife for example or myself when i'm carrying our child our one arm is is out of action and you still have to sometimes do stuff with your hand um and that's just one example of of many you know what happens if you need you know, you have an injury that that seems like a huge piece of the puzzle as well, which is which is interesting. I, I mean, I don't understand why they would be so prohi- prohibitively expensive. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm naive, but it's half the half the size um, of a normal keyboard. <laughs> you know, um, I, I I'm tempted to just say it's exploitation. You know, it's, if it's covered by people's insurance, then um, you know that's kind of a racket. Uh, but uh, the practical reason is. Because it's, um, you should see a picture of this thing. Uh, we should. I'll uh, send me a link and I'll put it uh, in the right, show notes as well. Yeah, we should put that in the show notes because it, it looks really cool and it was really, really a, kind of ahead of its time because now there's a whole ergonomic me- mechanical keyboard craze, and uh, it looks like a bowl. It's it's like um, this. It looks like a crazy like 3D sculpture that would go on your desk. Uh, because it's a, a concave, like bowl shape. So that's probably um, so what in order to, um, of, uh, yeah. yeah. So they had to actually hand solder all the switches, um, which I, I mean that um, might not sound like that big a deal, but when uh, when I had to actually solder, um, th- this is sixty four switches. So th- you know that's one hundred and twenty eight connections. Well, I mean, if you've uh, ever soldered have, a, a a mic cable soldering is or soldering however you say it is not uh a quick process <laughs> by any stretch yeah yeah i um I, I i could do a keyboard in a day um but uh that was like a lot of work uh, to solder to wire up a keyboard yeah it's it's and funny so yeah i um i'm talking to um Actually, a uh, a medical equipment specialist. Um, so it, there's a little bit of a discussion going on about trying to uh, to maybe find some resources to market this thing. Well, you never know unless you try. So maybe it's it's definitely something something to explore. So so Bobby, that brings us um, kind of full circle to. I just wanted to talk to you about exorcism a little bit and just ask about how you found it how you got involved and and 
what's next for you in that space um yeah go for it yeah well i uh I I started calling myself uh, the child of exorcism, uh, and I didn't even think about how funny that sounds, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, because uh, it it actually makes up the the bulk of my coding experience, and well, not just coding, but you know, working in a team, and um, so. Yeah, coming from where I was, um, you know, I didn't have an educational background, like a, not in computer science, and, uh, you know, I didn't have industry experience. So really, the only path forward was to, to build a solid uh, portfolio of projects, you know, and uh, c- contributing to open source is uh, you know, something that is suggested all the time you know for how do i how do i get my foot in the door and start um you know writing software and so you know then the the question is well what open source and so my my first uh, github pull request ever was to add myself as a mentor on the exorcism site because well i mean honestly i i kind of had no business becoming a mentor at that point because i was just a student i completed the closure track and um my my mentor said uh, oh great it looks like you have done all the exercises uh, and he sent me a link to um you know maybe consider being a mentor and i was like oh, i could do that <laughs> and that's really cool. it's uh, almost kind of dangerous uh, yeah. you know i don't want to corrupt people by giving them bad advice but, <laughs> the responsibility uh, uh, someone is very t- high yeah yeah and someone told me um that uh, you know if if you're the kind of person that you're worried about that 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 probably means that um that your head's in the right place mm. to be absolutely to be teaching people that uh, you know if you're if you're conscientious about um, making sure that uh, that you're teaching teaching stuff right, and you know, I just i I started with just the easiest exercise, and you know, found all the different ways to solve it. You know, I remembered what my mentor told me, and uh, just started looking at students' answers and said, "Hey, uh, you know, you could do this instead of this," and it then. You know, I started mentoring other exercises, and uh, it was really amazing, and especially uh, when COVID hit. Um, I was so isolated. It was, it, it was painful, mm-hmm. and, you know, exorcism uh, pretty much saved my life at that point. Wow. Um, That's a big thing. To, I be mean, able to, wow. uh, to be able to sit in the room, you know, we're quarantined, and to be able to ac- actually help people learn yeah. Um, it was the, uh, the the best thing going on. That's so cool. And, um, and well, sorry, Bobby, I just had a had a follow on question on that, but I've completely forgotten. So I'll let you carry on while I remember what I was going to say. So yeah, that was um, we we launched V three, um, which was incredible because you know I um, I've I've never actually seen the process of so many people working together 
building something so huge. Um, and uh, at that point, there were um, I was I was not the only closure maintainer. That how that happened was just kind of an accident. There were I was just one of uh, of a few. Uh, you know, people are interested, but uh, I was in a unique position because I desperately needed the experience and I was just learning everything along the way. And so I, I was the one who really had the much, the most to gain uh, from, you know, being, being able to, to do that, you know, everything from the curriculum design to the, you know, putting the, the tooling together, like the, the test runner and stuff. And, um, I, I, I suddenly found that I was the only one left. <laughs> and so it was just kind of, it was kind of out of necessity that you know, yeah. if we're going to get this track over the line, uh, and I've never, I've never written a test runner before. Like, what does that even do? I didn't know. I did figure it out as I went on uh, so, that's awesome. I, I didn't get it over the line, actually. We launched V3, and uh, um, it took me about a week after that because I I didn't have a concept of how the thing was actually going to work. Um, I had to see it in action mm. um, and say, oh, like, oh, that's how it's th – I thought it was just – I thought we were just writing a bunch of markdown files. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, it's it's fascinating, and I think the question that I had, which I now remember, was you mentioned that you made a comment the other day in one of our community calls about realizing that you actually teaching is one of the things that really drives you actually, and you hadn't really realized that. Um, so I thought maybe um, it would be cool to just explore that um, as our kind of final segment for today, and just talk talk me through that a little bit. Um, and then we can kind of see see where we're at after that. But um, yeah, ex expand on that. That was a really interesting comment that you made. Ah, uh, well, you know, uh, teaching is kind of the only thing that I find worth doing. Oh, wait, no, that's not that's that sounds really negative. But I could express it positively by saying uh, that teaching is the activity that I find. The most value in that, um, yeah, actually, you know, all this time, you know, I kind of assumed that I was learning to code so that I could write code for a company or something. But what what really happened is I I kind of fell in love with the process of learning to code and. Um, I, I almost kind of like uh, I'm going through this process of learning from the beginning over and over again, trying to um, uh, just attack it from every angle possible and to learn it as many wrong ways as possible. That's really important because when when you're teaching, uh, it's guaranteed that the students are going to misunderstand things. And so the, the teacher needs to not just be prepared with the right answer, but 
as many wrong answers as you could possibly think of and be prepared uh, for it to be misunderstood in e- even ways you would never imagine. That's that's interesting because I think that's quite a big realization to come to. It's, again, it seems like one of those significant sort of moments that okay, it's that clarity around where you find value and what drives you from an in- internal perspective. And I think what's so cool is that exorcism seems to combine all of those different aspects that you've just described with regards to teaching and helping other people. Um, the creative aspect of problem solving and coming from from different angles to solve a problem all rolled into something which gives you a bigger picture about um, how everything fits fits together so so I think for me, Bobby, just talking to you has been really cool because i 'm realizing um, that there 's so many different little angles that you can come at a problem from. Um, I'm also a musician. I mean, that's my background. I work for a label. I play guitar and I dabble in piano and I've played a bit of the drums and I've done recording and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm amazed at the crossover between what coding and development is and how that is, is correlated to music. And I just do think it's, a, it's, it's been really cool because the more I've spoken to musicians, the more I'm realizing they actually make phenomenal developers because they have that empathetic side to it that sort of um not not that people who don't have that musical background are not empathetic but more just they have the ability to take abstract um, feeling and emotion and actually interpret it into a way that is musical or in terms of um actually notating it which i think is actually what i'm realizing is so, is so key. So so I wanted to just thank you for for sharing that for sh- for being vulnerable with with your story and your background and I think the you know I feel like we could talk until the early hours um for you and until the late afternoon for me. But um Bobby I just wanted to thank you for your time and uh, thank you for all your contribution uh, to exorcism um and just for the, for your openness and and being up up for it up for the journey of of working together in a team of people from from all over the world. So Thank you, and uh, really looking forward to seeing you uh, on one of the community calls. But um, we will draw this session to an end now, uh, and I'll I'll touch base with you uh, in a in a second. But I just wanted to thank you uh, for your time this this day on the thirteenth of September, two thousand and twenty-two. So thank you, Bobby, and uh, we'll put all the notes in the show notes in the description. Uh, for people to see. So I'm thinking about your keyboard and um, what else? The sort of Yemenite stuff, all of that kind of, all the information that you shared. Um, So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jonathan. This was great.